In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. This thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to another Garlic Marketing Show. Today's awesome show has an awesome, awesome guest of mine who is a recovering attorney, uh, <laughs> speechwriter for the White House, and now helps uh, businesses get leads through events and also through a really cool lead gen system that we're going to talk about. John Corcoran, thanks for being on the show. Ian, thanks for having me. And uh, John and I have done some stuff together, and they're great. Him and Jeremy Rice Twenty Five, they do amazing stuff. I want to talk about their their combination podcast LinkedIn thing they have going because it's really really cool. I think it's probably the most powerful thing in B two B right now. But let's talk a little bit about your background. Why did you become an attorney? I want to know that always. <laughs> I became an attorney. I know, seriously, right? Why would anyone do that? Why would they subject that to themselves? I became an attorney because I, you know, after college. I had a, a kind of strange series of jobs that I happened into. I, I was a writer in the Clinton White House and presidential letters and messages. I was a speechwriter to the governor of California. I also worked for a stint. I was an early employee of DreamWorks. Each of these weren't because I was well-connected or silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that. It was just I managed to do a good job of building relationships with the right people, which relates to what we do now. But to answer your question about, um, you know, how do I end up being an attorney? Well, in those roles, I worked with a lot of attorneys and a lot of non-practicing attorneys, and it, I tended to be in meetings with them, and I would lose arguments to them. And so I was like, hey, okay, maybe it would be smart to go to law school. And it was, you know, it was, it was intellectually challenging and interesting. I loved a lot of the elements of practicing law, and I, I didn't ever intend to completely leave it, but it just opportunities led, led to where I am today. Uh, what, type, what type of law did you practice? I did a bit of everything. So, you know, I did bankruptcies. I did divorces. I did did a lot of real estate land use. And then I eventually gravitated towards doing uh, representing small business owners because I just really enjoyed working with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, so what was the most challenging part about being an attorney? Probably the most challenging part was that um, it, it, it wasn't really my personality. I mean, especially litigation. Litigation is really fighting, and litigators tend to be just win-at-all-costs type of things. Not all. You know, many, you know, are more collaborative. But um, it, it's, it grinds down on you. That was what I had the hardest part with was, you know, getting up each day and fighting people and just the things that – that come from that um, was was very difficult for me. Also, the fact that what was frustrating is that, you know, I worked really hard and I just couldn't really see a way to scale up the business more. And it's because the, the business model of law is just horrible. You know, it's based on the hours that you put in. 
unless you scale it up and hire, hire a bunch of people underneath you, in, this, in which case you have a big payroll that you need to meet. And so that's challenging in itself. So I wish someone had sat me down basically when I was like in third grade and said, look, there are these different business models. You should go into insurance. <laughs> yeah. like, insurance is an amazing business model. It's like you sell something once, you get paid for 20 years. And then once you've done it for a little while, it just snowballs. You know, I just wish I'd known that. You know, <laughs> so. I know. It's, it, it's funny you say that because I, I'm like, maybe I should just go. I've been thinking, I'm like, once in a while, because I kind of got into insurance. I was in, in financial planning, which is a lot of insurance products. And yeah. now I look back at it and I'm like, huh, but it's not sexy, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it's not sexy. I think that's what the problem was. Is you know, as a kid, I grew up. I grew up in Los Angeles. My father was in the you know in the uh, in the entertainment industry. He was a he was a journalist and TV in TV news and on TV and stuff like that. And so you know that was what I was raised around. So the idea of like going into insurance seemed pretty boring. So if you could change the business model of law and you could just revamp it completely, how would you do it? That's a great question. Um, you know, there are lawyers out there who have succeeded with models that are not not based on the billable hour, and I think that's great. It, it's really practice specific. Like it'll work in certain types of law; it doesn't work in other areas. Um, really, it, it's going to require a completely overall overhaul of the the you know the way the the legal system is constructed. Because as of right now, there's just there are no incentives for people to, um, you know, to, to, to overhaul it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it was beyond frustrating to me as someone who's into like productivity and being efficient with your time and all that kind of stuff. You know, the, the way the courts sometimes function is like they will require, you know, lawyers on one side, dozens and dozens of lawyers to come down to a courtroom, courtroom where you have to sit for an hour, hour and a half waiting for your matter to be called to stand up to talk to the judge for 30 seconds and set a date for something else. And then you drive back to your office you, and the, the clients are paying for all this stuff. That's part of the reason that the legal profession is so expensive, you know, and, and the courts they are, are stuck in this mentality where they don't have enough money in order to invest in technology, which would make things more efficient. So it, it really, I think, would require a major overhaul. Yeah, and I've heard of some, like, uh, s- you know, some virtual versions of that happening, but it's still a mess. Um, yeah. So for, if you would have stayed in the legal business, in the business of law, what practice area would you have stayed in and how would you have done it? I would have stayed, you know, continuing to work with small business owners and maybe larger and larger business owners. I probably would have eventually partnered up with another firm. In fact, I was I was thinking about doing that at some point, partnering with a couple of other other attorneys, um, because you know my skill set wasn't really sticking my nose in a book and it being in the legal in a law library and researching statutes and case law and stuff like that. I could get by, but it wasn't really my strongest area. Um, I'm more of a people person. I enjoy being out and, you know, interacting with people. So I think that's my, my strength. And I probably would have been best in that role in a larger firm capacity. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you know, when you're looking at lawyers and how they're working now, um, you know, what do you see as the biggest, their biggest opportunities and the biggest mistakes they make, especially like small law firms in growing their business? Oh man. Um, biggest opportunities and biggest mistakes. Well, probably, you know, biggest mistakes are when you run a a law firm, you have so many different things to do. There's the fulfillment piece, which is actually working on the clients. And then there's also the lead generation piece, 
which is getting new leads in the door and networking and going to coffee and lunch with people, those sorts of things, going to events. And then there's the conversion piece, which is in between, which is getting leads into becoming actual clients. So those are kind of the three primary areas you need to focus on. A lot of lawyers don't do a good job of balancing those three areas. They just stick their head down on one of those areas, and usually, honestly, it's the client work. And that'll get you far. That'll get you you only so far. But if you really want to build a a more scalable business, larger business, then you got to get beyond just the um, sticking your nose in the book and doing client work because sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you got to go out there and hunt for new clients. Yeah, and that's really part of business, right? <laughs> it, the, it's a, yeah, <laughs> every business has those three areas, right? You know, and just I think it's the nature of people who are drawn to being a lawyer tend to be more studious. They tend to get really enjoy getting in the weeds of studying statutes and case law and the fact patterns for different cases, and so they just get caught up in that and. They don't think about the other pieces of running a business, which are necessary, you know, and those other pieces that you have to focus on. And really, you really need to build a discipline and a habit of doing those things because those those efforts will snowball for you. Yeah. And I think there's that mentality, too, that I see across every profession. And maybe you think this is right or wrong. Let me know. But that if I get really good and I see it in marketing, too, if I get really, really good and learn all these skill sets the business will just naturally come. You know, it, oh, absolutely. People think that. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you build it, it will come. But that really isn't true. You know, I mean, and you see that across so many different industries where people really hustled. You know, the people who we hold up as icons now, the Richard Bransons, the Oprah Winfrey's, you know, they didn't just sit back and build something and hope they would come. They hustled. I remember reading a blog post about the guys who founded Airbnb. When they founded Airbnb, they didn't just build a website and then hope that people would come. They were out literally knocking on doors and talking to vacation rental owners and, and showing them with an iPad or a web or a laptop, showing them what the website looked like and getting them signed up for the platform because they were building this marketplace. And that's really what you need to do if you're a business owner is you need to be out there hustling. And this brings me to another point, too, that you and I have talked about a lot because I think that when someone becomes a quote-unquote professional, whether it's an attorney, a doctor, a dentist – the only place I don't see this is in, in chiropractors <laughs> because they're I, a different breed. They're a different breed. Yeah. And, we, and we talked to Jeremy, our mutual friend. Um, you can see that. But every one of them, they think, I'm a professional. I shouldn't hustle for, for the business. Yeah. Or they think it somehow debases the profession or it somehow <laughs> brings them down or they're going to be judged or they're going to be viewed harsher for you know, the way that they reach out or something like that is somehow unbecoming. Now, there are some professions like financial advisors that have really strict um, requirements on how they they can engage with marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm talking about here is not related to that. And honestly, I think a lot of times that stuff doesn't apply. If you are just reaching out to someone, if you walk up to someone in the street or at a networking event, you stick out your hand, you introduce yourself, you have a conversation, that's not marketing, that's just having a conversation. Using a social media platform in order to do that is not making it any different. A lot of times people think that there's something completely wrong with messaging someone on a social media platform or via email in a proactive manner. It's not actually not true. But as to the, the point that you made about somehow it's unprofessional in order to do these things, actually, you know what's unprofessional is 
is allowing your business to atrophy, you know, allowing it to decay, not uh, not enabling it to grow. If you truly believe in what you do, if you believe that you have skill and power and an ability and there are people out there who need your help, who could use your help, I believe it, if you believe it, then you should be doing these things. You should be telling the world about what it is you do. And there's nothing untoward or unprofessional about that as long as you conduct yourself in an upstanding manner in the way that you would offline. I think the highest compliment you can get is for someone to say, to meet you in person, face to face for the first time. And to say to you, wow, you talk just like you do online, in your podcast, in a video, in, in writing, in an email, uh, on social media or whatever. Because I think that social media, online tools, these are a megaphone that amplifies who you are and allows it to go further. And that's simply what it is. Yeah, that, and I think that's an amazing, amazing thing to say. Is you know the highest compliment you can get is a similar voice, because I, that's where I feel maybe that this idea of unprofessional comes in or waste of time. It's it's like no, you're not in this old advertising mentality. You're not you know blasting out, and that's where I see people doing social media like. Oh, if you're injured in a car accident, if you're injured in a car accident, if you're injured in a car accident. Yeah. Can you imagine if you walked around talking like that? <laughs> right. The funny part is, is that, you know, I see people do that and then, you know, they would never, ever say that. You don't know what they do in real life. Right. Uh, but on social media, they don't, they think that they're supposed to sell, sell, sell. Right. So, there, a lot of people are stuck in that old mentality. They don't realize that. Social media channels are not media channels in the same way. It's not ABC, NBC, CBS like it was 30 years ago. You know, it's a, it's a completely different channel. And it allows for this engaging to happen. It allows for this interaction to happen on, you know, on a scale that we never have experienced before. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. I mean, when I was a practicing lawyer, I got more business from Facebook than you you know then you'd believe and most people would believe and people would say all the time like oh facebook's a waste of time or i'm not on facebook i'm like i got tons of business on facebook why the reason is because it enabled me like many of these other platforms and enabled me to remain in touch with people who i otherwise without facebook would not have remained in touch with so you know old friends from college old neighbors people i met at a conference friends of friends parents of other kids go to my preschool whatever you keep in touch and as long again again as long as you comport yourself in an upstanding fashion in a way that you would that you wouldn't be embarrassed to run into someone at the grocery store or you know a reflection of who you are offline you do it online then you know people are going to be drawn to that and it's enabling you to to communicate with so many more people than you would you know prior to uh, the emergence of social media and I want to talk about how you did that in a second, but um, did you, I mean, if you had a specific way, but I do have to notice that that's the first time anyone's ever used the word comport, comport on my show, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, cool. That was uh, it's actually on a checklist here. I had uh, my goal for every podcast interview I do, try and use the uh, so. so, yeah, I mean, let's, so I, I want to, you know, there's so much I want to talk about, but so if you were to use Facebook today to grow your business, or, or let's, let's actually say if you were in a big, law, a larger law firm and you had to go out and get business, where would you be going? Um, well, so I, I think that there are different platforms that um, have their own role. 
you know, Facebook to me is not so much a larger marketing play as it's just something that's casual that allows me to keep in touch with a lot of people. And so, you know, for Facebook, it's just my personal account. I have built it up so I have uh, near the the maximum number of people, 5,000 people that I'm I'm connected with on there. Um, a lot of them are sure dormant or I don't even know where they are. You know, I've just kind of connected over the years. They've connected with me or I connected with them. Um, but, you know, I use that and I, I share bits and pieces about my life and, and I, I just try and be a reflection of who I am offline. So I'm constantly kind of joking about things or making comments about uh, just things that I find funny um, and amusing because that I find gets engagement with people. Um, and then LinkedIn is another one that, um, as you know, Jeremy and I have, have devoted a lot of energy and attention to um, in recent years. It was something that for a long time I was like, you know, at some point I need to really double down on LinkedIn and figure it out. And a lot of people say that, you know, they're like, oh, I should figure out LinkedIn at some point. LinkedIn now, um, we're recording this in January 2019, it's about 300 million active users every month. They have 600 million registered users. That's The number of active users is triple what it was about a year ago. So they've hit this hockey stick, stick growth recently, and a lot of people don't realize that. And so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. Now, what most people perceive is that they log into their LinkedIn you know, every once in a while, and they're not sure how to make it work. A lot of platforms are like that initially, right? So that's a lot of what we do now is helping other people in how to make LinkedIn work for them. Now, the way that I use LinkedIn is I use it to proactively reach out to people who I want to connect with. And it could be referral partners. It could be potential clients. And then as we built more and more of, uh, you know, connections on there, I've also shared more and more content. So I write articles or I share comments on there. And increasingly, I've been using video also. I just uploaded a video this morning, actually, where I shared uh, an upcoming video uh, webinar that we're doing. So, you know, I went on there and shared it. And, you know, what I would say to people, this is a long answer, so I apologize. But what I would say to people as far as LinkedIn is concerned is imagine if, you can have you can have thirty thousand first degree connections on there. You can have many more followers. Imagine if you had thirty thousand first degree connections with your ideal prospect. If you're a lawyer and you want to connect with general counsel of law firms, uh, uh, sorry, of, of corporations, imagine if you had thirty thousand general counsel on there. If you are a you know a commercial real estate developer and you want to develop you want to connect with commercial real estate investors, imagine if you had thirty thousand first degree connections on there. And you can do this on that platform. And it's amazing. So I, I think that a lot of people are missing out on a lot of potential there. Yeah, and I, I think one of the objections for a lot of people I hear often is I get messages, I get this all the time, and I ignore it. Yep. What do you say to that? I do too, honestly. <laughs> like I get a lot of incoming messages too, which are solicitations. So... The, the thing is, on LinkedIn, people, um, they, they come and either they send connection requests to people and they don't say anything. They don't, you can actually add a note up to 295 characters, and a lot of people put nothing in there. They just send a connection request, in which case the recipient is left trying to evaluate why is this person trying to connect with me. I'm not quite sure why. I don't know why people don't do this. It's because it's the lazy way to go, right? It's just really easy. And, and LinkedIn even makes it easy for you to just click, connect, 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 you know, uh, with, with people. What is, and then other people will lead with a sales pitch, 
they'll like say like, you know, hey, do you need to redevelop your website? I'm a web developer. That doesn't work. And then other people will just say something really boring like, hey, you're professional. I'm a professional. We should connect. Well, that's really boring too. So what you should be doing is using LinkedIn proactively, not reactively. Reactively is just responding to all the incoming requests that you're getting, but proactively in order to go out and engage with the types of people that you want to connect with. So not all the web developers that are trying to get your business, but all the people that you want to connect with. You should be proactively reaching out. And there's a lot of ways you can filter and sort and identify those people. If you get a premium account, you can filter them even better and you can identify those. And then proactively on a daily basis, you should be going in there or have someone doing it like we do doing it for you, going out and reaching out and connecting with people for you. And you've developed a service. Where can we learn more? Where can I send people to learn more about the service? You can go to rise25.com where you can learn about it. Rise25.com slash training. We've got a free training on there if you want to go into it deeper in our, into our methodology, which I'll just mention briefly. So what I see a lot of people doing, this is very time-consuming, is they, they send those connection requests with no message, so you have to send huge volumes in order for it to make a difference. What we do that's different is we lead with a give rather than an ask. So you never want to ask or say pitch first. You want to lead with a give. Why? Because when you give to someone, they're more likely to respond, and they're also going to be motivated by the principle of reciprocity to want to return the favor for you by either becoming a client or referring business to you. So we lead with a give, and what we do is we write articles for ourselves and also for clients. So we'll decide, okay, let's say we're reaching out, let's say we're reaching out on behalf of a lawyer client and we're reaching out to general counsel of a certain size law firm in the Orlando area. Well, we can filter that, we can sort it, and we can identify general counsel of certain size you know, companies in, in the Orlando area and send 80 messages a day out to that particular type of individual saying we're writing an article featuring, profiling, top general counsel of uh, companies in the Orlando area. And I'd love to profile you along with your peers. I want to share your thought leadership. How does that sound? That sounds amazing, right? They're like, wow, this is going to be great for my career. It's going to look really good to my peers. And then you ask a very simple, very easy question that they can answer very quickly because, again, people are moving really fast on, on social media. And then the other thing you do is it should be related to the work that you do. So you don't want to just ask them a question related to the work that they do, but you want to ask them a question that's of interest to them but related to the work that you do. So if you were, you know, let's say, uh, hypothetically, a video marketing person. Hypothetically. Then you would, you would say, <laughs> hypothetically, then you would say something like, how do you, you, what's your top tip for using video it, to promote your business or to acquire new customers. Now, what that's going to do is some people are going to respond and they're going to say, oh, here's a great tip. This is my tip. Other people are going to respond and they're going to say, you know what? They're, they're going to, it, it's interesting. They're going to identify themselves as interested in this topic by the fact that they respond. Some people won't respond at all, but some people respond and they'll say, you know what? I've been thinking about doing video. We've never really gotten into it. I tried it once. It didn't work out that well. We'd love to do it, but we just haven't done it yet. Well, that's a great lead, too. That's a great conversation, right? If someone said that to you at a networking event, you'd be like, oh, man, great, let's talk. So that's wonderful. And so then it allows 
the person, the client or the person who's reaching out, it allows them to then engage in a conversation with that person. Maybe they don't even get included in the article, but it might lead into a whole nother conversation. So that's, that's is a much more effective strategy than what we see other people working right now. And I, I honestly don't see anyone else using this strategy, what we're doing. Not everyone's going to use it. I'll... Uh, they are. <laughs> I know. I just ruined it. Jeremy's going to be kicking me. He's like, you just ruined it. Uh, um, but, okay, so this works in any B2B environment. And you guys have done this for a few people. You've had some major successes with it too, right? Is there, are there any you yeah. can share with us? Yeah, I mean, just you know, starting with ourselves. I mean, you know, we've tested it on different markets. We tested it on you know, C-suite level executives of companies with 10,000 employees or more. We've tested it on franchisees. So that's um, people who own like five Chick-fil-A's or they own 10 McDonald's, right? These are very successful, very busy individuals. We have people that respond and they say, you know, we send a message and within a couple hours, we've got a bunch of responses from people saying, here's my phone number, give me a call. Here's my booking link. Let's schedule a time to talk. Are you available tomorrow at two o'clock? These are from people who would normally, if you sent a sales solicitation, a sales pitch, heck no, you're not going to get a response, you know? And I'm not saying that you should then turn around and pitch that person. Absolutely not. It's not going to work. But what I'm saying is that by leading with that, it gets you into a conversation with that person. And it also identifies people who are interested in that particular topic, be it video marketing or whatever it is. And it gets you on the phone with those people for the purpose, of course, of writing an article, which is part of the service that we provide because a lot of people don't want to write an article. But it gets you on the phone with that person, and then that can lead to a conversation, which then can lead to you know, possibly doing work together. Of course, it doesn't always work that way, but we've certainly had that happen. I, I've, we've had situations where I've reached out cold to people, and without, before we've even put them in an article or publish an article, we've gotten clients that are, you know, worth $10,000 a year for our business. You know, obviously larger, you know, acquisitions, like we're talking like, you know, if you're doing, if you're selling something that's six figures, those types of things tend to take longer, no matter what sales cycles take longer, right? So it's not going to be a, a silver bullet or anything like that, but it does get you into a conversation with your prospects. And, th- and I think that's the big thing. It's a conversation. And it goes back to what you were saying before, because then people are immediately like, well, I don't have time for this. And now you're saying, I don't have time to grow my business. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> the, thing is, the thing is, they're already doing other things, which are probably hugely time consuming. You know, I mean, we had a client who, similar situation, who had been you know, saying for a while, I don't have time to do this, I don't have time to do this. He had a speaking engagement recently, an out-of-town speaking engagement. And so I was like, I broke it down for him. I was like, you know, when did you leave? Yesterday. Okay. And you're speaking today? Okay. And you're leaving tomorrow? Okay. All right. So that's 72 hours. That's like yesterday. You're out of the office full, you know, yesterday. You're out of the office today. You're back tomorrow. Do you realize in that amount of time how many conversations you could have over the phone or over email, over LinkedIn Messenger, over Facebook? You could have years worth, right? 
Or same thing could be just going to a networking event in your local community. You got to leave work early. You got to go across town. Your family's at home. You're missing them. You're going to this networking event. You're not enjoying the people you're talking to. You talk to maybe three people over the course of an hour. You get stuck to talking to someone who it turns out is not a very good fit for you and never would have been a good fit for you, but you're stuck talking to them and you're too polite to say, say you know, sorry, I got to go. That's a waste of time. So, you know, this is a very effective strategy, but you should, you know, not be doing some of the other strategies that are not working. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's such a great point of view because we waste so much time on things that might work when you know this will work. Um, and it's obviously a highly effective strategy, but it comes back to, well, it's just, it's something different. It's, yeah. it's something different, but it works. Because I, I see this all the time. People go to these market networking meetings, right? like you said, three, four people. Maybe someone will pan out. Maybe someone won't. It's uncomfortable. And it takes six hours total. Yeah. Uh, we're thinking about how much you could have done on LinkedIn in six hours. Absolutely. You, uh, fantastic. So the other part is you, you've been running your podcast for a while. Let's talk about that. Because you, yeah. I saw a great post with uh, you had on Facebook where people said they didn't have time for their podcast or abandoned their podcast. It's not working. It's a similar thing too, right? Absolutely. Right. That is the number one thing I've done. I mean, my business partnership with Jeremy is because of podcasting. I've been to people's weddings. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been on vacation together, too many clients to mention too many referral partners to mention. Um, it's just a tremendous tool as you know, for deepening relationships with people who are already important to you, uh, establishing relationships with constantly higher and higher caliber people. You know, I can't, you know, there's so many people, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is in on my podcast. I've had, you know, the founders or co-founders or CEOs of Open Table and Lending Tree and Activation Blizzard, which is the largest gaming company out there, which was doing $50 billion a year at one point, you know, Tremendous! I had the president of Starbucks once who someone was offering to be a guest on my, on my podcast. I mean, it's a tremendous tool for connecting with higher and higher caliber people, you know, where it gets to the point where, you know, look, if I send an email to some of these people and I said, hey, I'm going to be in your city soon next week. Um, hey, do you mind driving 45 minutes across town to meet me at a Starbucks so we can get a cup of coffee and I can ask you questions and pick your brain about, you know, how you can help me with my business? They're going to be like, get out of town. But <laughs> the fact that you do a podcast you record it. It's easy and convenient. They're in their home. They don't even need to be wearing pants. And, you know, you record it very easily and then you publish it to the interwebs. It's going to be on there up and forever. You know, it's amazing. And, you know, we can go over the objections that we hear from people. The common objections are, I don't have the time. Again, we addressed that earlier. People are doing other things that are not as effective. This is incredibly effective. Who doesn't have 30 minutes a week to devote to your business? That's really all you need to devote to it. Um, and then the other one is people, the, the objection is all the different, you know, technology and how to format it and get it uploaded and onto the, all the different platforms because there's a lot of different podcasting apps out there and things like that now. And you should not be touching any of those pieces. When you do a podcast, what we say is you focus on the relationship piece and focus on the content piece and everything else you should delegate. You shouldn't be doing any of that other stuff. Yeah, and I think – I mean, that's the two biggest things that to overcome objections. I think the mindset objection is the big one, too. It's like, how am I yeah. going to monetize this? Everyone thinks of it. Once again, they think old radio station. Like, yeah. I'm going to sell advertising. I need 10,000 oh. subscribe. I need 10,000 people listening to my podcast. 
Uh, no, that's yes. true. Yeah, so I did an extensive study on this. I surveyed hundreds of podcasters to write, and I wrote an extensive article about this. Where's that article? Asking. Uh, it's it's on Rise Twenty Five. You go to Rise Twenty Five dot com slash podcasters. I think it is Rob Podcasters. Uh, you can get it there. Um, and what I found was that it was something like ninety five percent of people said. So the question I asked was, "How do you get ROI from a podcast?" And I asked all kinds of people, and the really savvy ones they knew that it was from the relationships that they got, and it was from clients, and from an existing business that got greater exposure and that allowed them to build new relationships because of the podcast. The podcast itself was not the money maker, right? But it did lead to money in the door. 95% of the people who responded to this survey said that their goal was to build a huge audience and then charge for ads or sponsorship. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was just shocked by the number of people who said that, you know, and I've been doing this for eight or so years now. Wow. Jeremy's been doing it for about the same amount of time. It's the number one asset in my business. I would never want to give this up because in, in the minute you do, you're giving up all the relationships that you're growing, that you're building through the podcast. So it's really the most valuable thing that I do, and it's worth every penny that I've spent on it. Yeah, it's it's. I, I try and drive it home for people because – you know, people look at the podcast. I look at it as a way to stay in touch with clients and connect with awesome people like yourself and get great information in front of my clients and prospects. And yep. with, without, you know, without spending days writing an article and, yeah. and like I said, connecting with awesome people. I mean, there's so many great things. And also, I, you know, you just taught me something I wanted to learn about LinkedIn marketing. So you give me, it's amazing. And exactly. I don't know if you find this too, but when you get people on the podcast, they give you like your inside, their inside million dollar tactic, like 40 minutes in that they're charging like a thousand dollars for. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I say that, it, you know, podcasting is, it's personal and professional development that doubles as marketing because you're learning things that you can apply to your business. Some of the biggest insights I've had from my business have come from a podcast interview. You know, and what's amazing is you're right. You get to ask these people these questions and, you know, incorporate them into your business. Uh, but the other thing I'll say is that, look, you're already having these conversations, right? You're already talking to prospects. You're talking to peers. You're talking to existing clients. You're talking to referral partners. You're maybe you're doing it in person or over the phone or over coffee or over lunch. So what we're just saying is do it slightly differently. Do it over Skype, record it, and then use that recording and pay a team like ours or another one to get it up and get it published. And you're right. The monetization piece is such a big piece. It's part of the reason that we've you know, developed Rise25 the way that we have is because we saw that we were working with clients – in, in other capacities, and we just kept on coming back to, you need to have a podcast, and you need to have a podcast, and they had the same objections over and over again, as we've discussed here, and so we finally said, forget it, we're going to do it for you. <laughs> our team, you know, we've got audio editors, we've got web developers, we've got writers, everything, our team will do all those pieces while we focus on the strategy with you and making sure that you're making money from it. So the biggest mistake I see from people, honestly, when they do start a podcast, is they start it but then they, you know, they'll pay the cheapest team they can find to get it published, 
And so they'll get it published, they'll get it out, they'll do it for six months or a year, and then they'll realize they're not making money at it, and they're not sure, you know, it's a lot, then they realize it, it was fun, but it was a lot of effort, and then they give up. And that's, that's my mission, is to prevent more good podcasts from ending, because the podcaster can't figure out how to make money from it. You can make money from it, and it just requires probably doing things a little bit differently than the way that you're doing it right now. Love it. Yes. And it's so worth having because it's so worth having someone do the heavy lifting for you, do all yeah. the other stuff, and you're just doing the relationship building, press record, boom, yeah. send it out. Um, yeah. Oh, I was going to tell you a story. So the way that I got first got started in podcasting was before. I mean, I, podcasting wasn't even a big term. It was probably around 2011 or something like that. And I had a client. It was still full time practicing law. A client who came to me for a tiny little matter. It was like writing a lease on a spare bedroom. Basically, today you just use Airbnb. But back then, I, I wrote like a charge of $500, did this lease. And then I did some research on him. I looked him up on LinkedIn and stuff. And I realized this guy had started a bunch of companies, one of which had gone public. It was on the NASDAQ, all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, this guy's a really cool entrepreneur. I would love for him to be a client. And I was like, how do I get him to think of me as something more than just this guy who writes a $500 lease? So I just sent him an email and I was like, hey, do you have like 15 or 20 minutes? I would love to take some time to interview you. I'm going to record it and I'm going to publish it. I'm going to put it up on my website. I didn't even know how to do that. I didn't have any special podcast hosting or anything like that. So I go and do that and I ask him questions about his career, his business, his life, his thoughts on leadership and entrepreneurship. And what do you know? I go and I publish it. And like, I don't remember if it was like right afterwards or maybe a week or two later, he says, so by the way, do you think you could help me with uh, this legal matter and this other thing? And he ended up turning into a great client, you know? And it came because I decided to take interest in someone, record it, and publish it. And, you know, I've just done it hundreds and hundreds of times since then. Yeah. And I'm, that's a great story because it, 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 I think the key, too, you said there is you took interest in them. Yeah. And what that's comes back to what we started with is the very beginning is social media is taking interest in someone else first. Yes. But yeah. these, these are great, great tactics. Um, so the best way to get in touch with you is go to rise25.com and uh, you can learn. We'll have all the links in there, the training, the podcast. You can learn John's story. Who was that first podcast? Is it still up? The- the first, um, you know, honestly, I don't know. I'd have to look. I'm not even sure if I ended up putting it up as a podcast because that was way before I started a podcast. Um, and then I did that a couple of times after that before I formally launched as a podcast. So um, I did a couple of different, you know, a, a number of different interviews like that where I just literally recorded it using like freeconferencecall.com, I think. And I just like uploaded it to WordPress, I guess, <laughs> like an nice. audio file, you know? Yeah. Nice. So, and, it doesn't need to be perfect. What, out of all the podcasts that you've done, which is, uh, which do you think is the most valuable out of the episodes? Uh, it's like, you know, pick which baby you love the most, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I had. But you know you one, love one the most. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I will say I had one with a guy named Kevin Thompson who not many people know, but. Um, he shared with me the way that he, he was doing teleseminars. He'd done like dozens and do, he does like dozens and dozens of teleseminars and he partnered with other entrepreneurs and other audiences 
And um, what he found was that he was making over seven figures a year doing this. And I realized I could do this. It was just about connecting with the right people and then having a training that you could do over and over again. So I ended up doing it with, with, with webinars. And as a result of that particular podcast interview, I used his strategy and I did one year, I did 83 live webinars what? because of that strategy that I learned from him because he inspired me to do it. So that had a huge impact, obviously, on my business. Um, you know, uh, just other interviews that I've done, you know, with, with uh, LinkedIn experts have, have, you know, taught me a lot about how to use LinkedIn. Um, and just the other day, I interviewed, we mentioned him a couple times, Jeremy Weiss, Dr. Jeremy Weiss, my business partner, I interviewed him. Finally, he's very reluctant to be interviewed. And I finally tied him down and made him do an interview. And it, he did an amazing job, told the story about his grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, who inspires him to this day. And, you know, Jeremy has started so many different businesses and he's such a hard worker um, and he's an inspiration to me. And so that was actually personally very gratifying to be able to interview him and share a bit of his story, which he is so reluctant to share. Yeah, I know. I keep trying to get him on and he says no. And I don't know. I'm like, I'm just going to start recording when he calls me at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, yeah, he's like Bill Murray. He's like Bill Murray. He's like just really hard, you know. He's really hard. You got to track him down, kind of thing. Awesome, awesome, John Corcoran. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Um, so, best way to get in touch with you, I started asking, and then I got diverted. Was is rise twenty five dot com? Yeah, you can go to rise twenty five dot com. Um, you can check out our training there if you like. We have training on on how uh, basically our strategy behind lead generation: get eighty to hundred leads for your business per per week. Um, and you, Smart Business Revolution is my original blog and podcast, which you can check me out there as well, or connect on LinkedIn. If you do connect on LinkedIn, please add a note and say, hey, I heard you on the Iron Garlic Marketing Show, so I know that you're not just some weird random person connecting with me, and I know that you're, you're legit, so thanks. Yeah, or you might be a weird random person listening to this, and uh, That's cool too. It's, it's still validation. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome, John. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. All right. Thanks, everyone. And thank you all for listening. It's been Ian Garlic and John Corkin on the Garlic Marketing Show. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. <laughs>